0: Man, You can be seated. Take your Bibles, turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 6. Matthew, chapter 6. We are in the last week of a series of messages that we began at the beginning of the year. We began this series of messages all the way back on the second week, second Sunday of January, January 8th, and have been walking through this series for the last eight weeks called Embrace The Turtle. And we talked about this uh idea behind Embrace the Turtle, if you were here for those first couple of weeks, or we've mentioned it a couple of times in the in the series. We called it Embrace the Turtle because we were referencing a classic fable from Aesop, right? And that fable was what? The tortoise and the hare, all right? So we've been talking about that in the classic fable of the tortoise and the hare, there's the story that they had a race one day, and that the hare gets out to a big lead and then gets distracted by all the pretty things around, or food, or takes a nap. And then the tortoise, on the slow and steady pace, just keeps moving. And as he just keeps moving, he ends up winning the race in the fable. And I know some of you thought, well, that's just a fable. It's just a story. It's not true. You based a whole sermon series off something that wouldn't really happen in real life. And while it sounds cool that we're going to slow and steady wins the race, but the truth is the rabbit would always beat the tortoise. But thanks to the interwebs and the YouTubes, we have... I'm I'm over 40. I can add S's to things now. We have video evidence that... The race is not just a story. Alright, right, we'll go ahead and fire that, John. All right. So here we have the classic matchup of the tortoise and the hare. The hare gets out to a big lead, finish line in sight, and then he decides, I'm going to hang out for a minute. And the tortoise, slow and steady. Slow and steady. Hair has got too much going on, too many distractions. This woman's determined that she's not going to let the tortoise win. She's coaxing on the rabbit. And yet, again, just as in the fable, the tortoise wins, right? You can clap for the tortoise. It's all right. I don't know who it is. So all this time we've been talking about this issue of slow and steady and that we live in a world, the two images we've had, we live in this world where we live in a pinata world. Where it's bright and colorful and exciting, but inside it's hollow. And if it is filled with anything, it's just sugary stuff that has no sustenance, that has no depth, that has no real nutritional value. That the world we live in is just one sugar high after another. When you think about tonight, I think there's an award show, right? There's some kind of award show, Academy Awards. And here's the thing. They'll give all the awards out tonight, and after a week, everybody will be excited about them. And then within a week, they'll start talking about what's going to win next year. Just move on to the next one. We'll forget what those were, all right? Anybody remember what the best picture was four years ago? If you do, don't shout it out. It's a point I'm making, all right? So I know some of you movie nerds out there, yes, I do remember, exactly. Like I saw it 14 times. Like, most of us don't have that recollection, right? Like because we move on to the next thing, and it doesn't really satisfy. And in the midst of this world, we want to be not a piñata, but an iceberg. We want to somebody that's beautiful and attractive with the gospel of Christ on the top, but there's much more substance underneath. We read a quote that very first week about the fact that what we need in our world are people who are deep. People that have substance. People that have strength and stability. And so over the last few weeks, what we've done is we've talked about spiritual habits, um, spiritual disciplines, spiritual grace, things that we do in order to develop in our lives a slow and steady pace that enables us to place ourselves in positions to hear God's grace and to become the person that God intends for us to be. In the midst of this, we've made real clear that we're not doing this to check things off a list and say, let me tell you how much I've done or how much I do or what I've accomplished. That we do it for three primary reasons. And if you get nothing else from this series about the importance of this, it's these three things. We do these spiritual habits because we want to know Jesus better. We want to know our Savior better. We want to know more about Him. We want to know what He was like. We want to know what He desires for us. We want to secondly place ourselves in the pathways of God's grace. That by doing these things, by reading Scripture, meditating on it, memorizing it, by praying, by serving one another, by being a part of a God-blessed community, by taking care of one another in the midst of that community, by celebrating what God has done, that as we're placing ourselves in those moments... Those are the places that God has ordained to speak into our lives. And then the third, just to grow in godliness. That's what he says in Timothy, that we're supposed to grow in godliness. And that these habits help us to do that. We also do it because it's what Jesus did. We looked at two scriptures in the very first week that I just want to remind us of before we launch into today. When Jesus, first of all, in Luke chapter 4, is coming out of the wilderness. He is coming out of temptation. And we'll talk a little bit more later about that. But he's coming out of that in Luke chapter four sixteen, And it tells us, you can put that verse up, John. He came up to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. So he goes back to his hometown. After the wilderness, after all that... As usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. As was his custom. As was his habit. As usual. So Jesus, as he's launching his ministry, is not starting something that day that he hasn't already been doing. He has been doing that on a regular basis over and over and over again as a habitual part of his life. Second verse, that was at the end of his ministry, at the end of his life. And Luke chapter 22, verse 39, says he went out. out of the Lord's Supper, made His way as usual to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed Him. It was a normal part of His life. In the very first week we said that there are so many of us that desire to be who God wants us to be, and we want the destiny without the discipline. But God calls us to a slow and steady lifestyle. And so over the last few weeks, we've talked about the fact that we need to, above all, seek God above all and that these habits help us to do that so we seek God by memorizing and meditating on scripture challenged you to memorize a chapter of scripture by Easter if you haven't started you've still got time this is your first week you're like "Whoa, whoa, whoa I didn't sign up for that why did I get in there right seek God by memorizing, meditating on scripture. Seek God by praying, by exchanging our wishes for what God desires in our lives. Exchange um, what we want or our agenda is for God's. Now we seek God through serving each other, by working together, working for the benefit of the congregation. We seek God in the midst of community, unified, God-honoring community. And then we seek God through celebrating Him. We do that because Matthew tells us to do that. If you've got your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 6, right there in verse 19 it says, Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He says, wait a minute, don't, don't go after the things of this world where stuff is going to destroy it. Where moth and rust destroy. Do you realize that every physical thing you have in your life could be taken away at any moment. Um... I was watching the news this week and when you're invested in a place like um, we've invested here in places like Lynch, Kentucky and Chile and Brazil and Los Angeles, when you're invested in a place, you kind of keep track with news. Your, your ears perk up when you hear news about places and, um, you know, I, I follow uh, news that I hear about Los Angeles. I'm intrigued by it because I've been in the city, because I know people that are planting churches in the city, because we have people that we care about in the city. And so you listen a little more closely. Um, I don't know if you've seen or not, but Los Angeles has had for them strange weather over the last few weeks, right? And so, um, normally Los Angeles doesn't get much rain. In fact, they've been in a drought for years. And normally you don't want to. I've got an app on my phone where you know you've got a list of cities you can see the weather, and one of those weather cities is Los Angeles. All right, and generally you don't like to compare what's happening here with Los Angeles. But last Friday, when it's 78 degrees and sunny, I thought, this is a day, I'm just going to see what's happening over there. And I looked, and it was 62 and rain, and I was like, hmm, we got better weather than you do right now, alright? 348 days out of the year, that is not true. But if you've seen there's been this massive rain, I was watching the news, I heard in my background, I heard Los Angeles and saw this picture. I actually showed this picture in the office some, that... There was this house, beautiful house. You know, no telling how much in California it cost. And part of what's happened with the flooding, with the rain out there, is some of the spillways have overflown. And there was this picture of this beautiful house sitting right here. And behind it, I don't know how many, you know, perspective you don't know, but not very far, was a spillway that had failed. And it looked like a waterfall. And it was coming directly for that house. And the captain just said... Houses in complete destruction, path of the rain. And I just thought, man, when those people built that house, when those people have lived there for the last many years, like, if you would have told them, hey, that spillway behind your house is going to overflow because y'all have had too much rain, they think you were nuts. And Jesus says, don't work to store for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He says, instead, next verse, Store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves don't break in and steal. Place your reward in heaven, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We talked about this verse actually and linked together a couple of weeks ago. This idea that for many years I read that verse incorrectly. I've said that in this place even in the last few years. I read that verse to say where your heart is, there your treasure will be. The idea was, in my mind when I read it, I thought wherever I really love, whatever I care about, I'm going to send my treasure. But that's not what Jesus says. What Jesus says is where your treasure is, your heart will follow. Where you give your time, where you give your money, where you give your scheduling, where you give your attention, where you give your thoughts. Your heart is going to follow what you've already invested in. And one of the reasons we've talked about these habits... Is because what happens when you begin to pray, when you begin to seek God in His Word, when you begin to serve one another, when you begin to put together the fellowship that you're living together here, when you begin to celebrate what God is doing, suddenly you are placing your treasure in heavenly things. You're placing your hope in heavenly things. And as your treasure goes, your heart will follow. And so as you're seeking God in His Word, you become more like God because your heart is naturally following what you're already investing in. And then. Matthew six thirty three, a verse that you have heard and know. He says, to sum up this whole section, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. So over the last few weeks, that's what we've been talking about. Seeking first the kingdom of God through memorizing, meditating on Scripture, through prayer time, through service, through celebration, through community. And today, we're going to end our series by talking about seeking God through fasting. And the look on your face right now is the most excited I've seen. Okay, that's not true at all. You look petrified. like, oh. It's like you want to say, and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's just get through this one. Some of you are like, I was kind of hoping you forgot this one. Like, I think you mentioned it earlier, and I thought, well, we hadn't talked, we don't, you know, let's just kind of, don't worry about that, let's just move on. But today we're going to talk about it, because here's what I believe, that fasting can be one of the most important and life-giving ways to seek first the kingdom of God. And I know that when I say it, you don't out there go, Whew, it's exciting!" And wait, like in fact, I didn't put anything on social media this week. Like this week, we're talking about fasting, because people would have. You know what? I think I'm going to fast from church this week. I don't think that I really need to need to give that up for uh, fast. There, right? As a staff, we reading a book I highly recommend called Habits of Grace, um, and there's a quote in that book about fasting that I just love. We talked about it in our staff meeting, and it says this: Our problem might be how we think of fasting. If the accent is on abstinence And fasting is one mere duty to perform Then only the most iron-willed among us Will ever get over the social and self-pampering hurdles To actually put this discipline into practice We're going to hold it there for a minute There's a second part of the quote We're going to hold it there for a minute Because here's the thing This is so true We hear it just as Man, I can to stop doing that Or I can't eat for a month Or I can't do that for six weeks Or whatever it is If that's the way we think of it Just getting away from something Then only those of us that grit our teeth And bear down and get through whatever. That military mindset, I'm just going to make it through whatever. Survive and advance. Only those of us that do that will ever get over the self-pampering hurdles. I love that phrase. This idea that we live in a world that consistently tells us you do what you do. You be who you are. You give yourself. You've earned it. You deserve it. Take care of yourself. We will not get over that hurdle unless we see it as something different. But if we are awakened to see fasting for the joy it can bring as a means of God's grace to strengthen and sharpen Godward affections, then we might find ourselves holding a powerful new tool for enriching our enjoyment of Jesus if we can get past that it's just giving up something and see it as an opportunity for God to speak into our lives, for God to move in our hearts, for God to do something new within us, if we could move past the just giving up to what will it benefit, what will it bring, how will it help, then we might understand that it's one of the most powerful tools for enjoyment of Jesus. And so today, my goal, my task in the next few minutes is to try to give you a picture of why we do it and some practical tips for it. Because here's the deal, as you can imagine. Just like I called you to memorize a chapter of Scripture when we talked about memorizing Scripture, I think you know what the application at the end of a sermon on fasting might be. It's not go eat more let not indulge more in entertainment. Alright? And so I want to build a case and then give some practical stuff and then challenge you with fasting. First question you've got to answer is why? Why is this important? Why is this a part of what we do? Why is fasting one of the most powerful tools for the enjoyment of Jesus? And the first reason is simply this. Jesus assumes we will fast. He doesn't even command it. He just assumes it will be part of our lives. You got your Bible open to Matthew chapter 6. Here's the thing, alright? This is kind of interesting, kind of cool, alright? So, we were there. Most of you know the passage of Scripture that I read from 619. Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Let me ask you this question, okay? If you're there, how many of you have a Bible that has like headings above sections of Scripture, right? So, what's the heading above verse 19? Anybody got one above 19? God and possessions, all right? God and money, God and treasure, all right? All right just look at the, ske- the section above that, all right? What's the section above that called? Fasting, all right? So here's the deal. When Jesus spoke the Sermon on the Mount, let me ask you a question. This is a rhetorical question. I'll give you the answer. The answer is yes, all right? But I'll give you a chance to say it in a minute. When Jesus spoke the Sermon on the Mount, he preached this message. Do you think Jesus understood how to put together a sermon? Yes, there you go. That's easy, right? I'll give you the answer, right? Open book. So, if he's putting this together and he hands out notes, he didn't hand out notes, but if he did, and he's got these points listed there, he's got fasting and then treasure. But here's what I want you to understand. He didn't divide it like we have it divided. It's divided for you to be able to find it. Because it'd be very hard if I said, take your Bibles, turn somewhere in the first third of Matthew to the area where the Sermon on the Mount might be, and look for this few words that I'm going to tell you about. Instead, we have developed a system where I can say, turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. So when Jesus spoke this, there wasn't a break there. So he said it like this. Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they make their faces unattractive so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you that they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart also will be. Here's the thing: the teaching about not storing up treasures on earth but in heaven is a application, an explanation, a reason for fasting. You see that? Like, I know when you read a devotional, it gets you started at verse 19. But that's not where Jesus started. He started with fasting and said fasting, and we'll talk about this in a minute, helps to break the chains of us being dependent on things of this world. The first reason we do it is because Jesus assumed it. He says, whenever. Let me just ask you, when you're talking to somebody, whenever you're talking to somebody, and you say, whenever you get here, what are you assuming is going to happen? They're going to get here. Whenever you come, you assume they're going to come. Whenever you make it, you assume they're going to make it. When Jesus looks at the disciples and says, whenever you fast, he doesn't even say, hey, go out and fast. He uses the exact same language for this as he uses a few verses earlier when he says, whenever you pray. He assumes that fasting will be as much a part of our lives as prayer is. Now, I know, I grew up in a church where, and I love my pastor. I, love, I grew up First Baptist Church in Dyersburg, Tennessee. I love Brother Boston, Buddy Boston, Raymond Boston. Loved who he was as a man. Grateful that he was my pastor. But I cannot for the life of me remember one sermon on fasting. I cannot for the life of me remember one Sunday school lesson on fasting. I cannot remember one youth talk on fasting. And so you say, well, why are we doing it now? Well, the reason we're doing it now is because Jesus told us to do it. He assumed we would. A couple of years ago, um, I wrote this little article for our website for First Baptist Goodlitzville called Why Would a Baptist Fast or something like that. Baptist Reflector, a newspaper here in town uh, for the state of Tennessee, published it as a part of that. And we got unbelievable hits. Like, I think now it's almost 100,000 people have read that article. I obviously launched a huge writing career because I haven't written a single thing like that since. All right. But it blew up. Well, here's the thing, and I don't. This is going to shock you, but when you write an article, that gets 100,000 views online. People respond to it, and not always are they um, supportive. I don't know if did you realize that that people have all differing opinions, and a lot of the non-supportive email. I got lots of supportive emails from Catholics. So I got like on three or four Catholic mailing lists. I get stuff here at church. I'm like, that's not, that wasn't the point at all, all right? Um, but most of the ones that came were from people of my own tribe, if you will, that said, why, why are you doing this Catholic thing? I was talking about fasting. I was talking about leading up to Easter, season that Catholics called Lent, that the church has called Lent for a long time. And I just, you know, I, I, I didn't because... You can't win those kind of discussions online. Have you noticed that? Like people just yell at each other online. There's no winners. I just want to write back like I, I'm just talking about stuff Jesus talked about. I'm not worried about Catholic, Baptist, Presbyterian, Pentecostal. I'm talking about Jesus. And Jesus said, "Whenever you fast, We really shouldn't need any other motivation than the fact that he assumed we would do it, just like he assumed we would pray. But here's the second thing that it does. We fast because it reveals the power something has on my life. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do, okay? give you a preview of what we're going to talk about in detail at the end. I'm going to ask you to fast from something starting this week all the way to Easter. Now, here's one thing I want to tell you. I'm a gracious pastor. Because I could have done this sermon on January 8th and asked you to fast all the way to Easter, right? Giving you the scripture memory of a chapter today, and then you'd had reverse. But I did it opposite of that. But here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to walk out here and go, I got it. I got what I'm fasting from. Like, I'm not going to eat at all. starting now. I'm just not going to do it. Hadn't thought about it, but man, that sounds like a great plan. We're going to do that. Or I'm giving up caffeine for the rest of my life right now. Not doing it ever again. Okay. I want you to take a couple of days. I want you to seek the Lord. I want you to get in his word. I want you to pray. And I want you to ask him, what do you want me to give up? Now, I know some of you in this room. I know some of you in this room have. This is not something new. You've done this the last couple of years or the last three or four years. And so the easy thing is just to get back in the routine. Well, I gave that up last year. I'll get that or or I'm just going to step it up a little bit more. But I want you to ask God, what is it in my life that I need to release some power over me? Do you want to know how you know if something has power over you? Try to give it up for a little bit. And you'll be shocked about how much you think about it or need it. I've told this story before, but a few years ago when I first started this whole thing of trying to think about fasting and all of that, one of the first things I thought is, uh, you know, I just give up caffeine. I'm a guy that's always said, I can go with or without caffeine. I can drink caffeine at 9.30 at night and not affect me at all. I don't need it, all that stuff. By day three, I'm in cold sweats, like shaking with headaches, and like feel like I need to go into some facility for a moment, all right? Like it's like, what in the world is happening to me? And you realize the grip that something like that has on your life, which you have may not be food. Just to be honest, for me, food has been the most powerful thing. But it may not be food. It may be entertainment. It may be music that you're listening to. It may be a TV show or nightly television that you've been watching that you need to give up. It might need to be something that you do for fun. It, it, It probably needs to be something good that you just say, I'm going to set aside for a while. And here's what happens. When you do you begin to realize the pull on your life that it has and how easy it is to not have that in your life. It goes in a cycle. At first you're like, I don't know how I'm going to make it. I don't know how I'm going to make it. I don't know how I'm going to make it. And then two weeks in you're like, I don't know why I ever thought I needed it. Listen, it's not required. You don't have to do it. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Everything is permissible for me. So this is Paul saying, as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a follower of Christ, everything is permissible. I can do anything. What he means literally by that is the grace of God is what has saved me, not my own works. And I have been saved by grace through faith, not of myself, lest no man should boast. And I can't do anything to undo the powerful grace that God has given to me. There is nothing I can do that will supersede the cross of Jesus Christ. You are not more powerful than the blood of Jesus on the cross. And so he says, he's talking to the Corinthians. Corinthians got lots of messes. They got guys living with their stepmothers trying to make everybody think it's okay to do that. They got people getting drunk on the communion wine before anybody else can get there to take it because they're just indulging too much. They have divisions within their church. They have people squabbling over how you can use your gifts in the worship center. And people running up and down the aisles. And people putting immodesty in the midst of worship. They got problems everywhere. one of the questions that Paul gets asked is, okay, we go to people's houses. We're trying to reach them with the gospel. They serve food that has been sacrificed to idols. The leftovers—can we eat it? And Paul is like, "Listen," and he goes, "Here's the truth," and he'll tell them, "Like, there's nothing in that food that is actually because the idols not real. The food isn't sacrificed to an actual idol, so there's nothing wrong with the food." He says, "Everything is permissible for me," but then you see those dots. He says, "But not everything is beneficial." Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Then he says there, listen, there's some stuff that you can do, but it's not wise and it's not good. And it's not it's not going to benefit you in any ways. And if you're not careful, it ended up mastering you. And what Paul is saying in the midst of that is we must be careful to let the things of this world become too important to us. Now Jesus says it in Matthew 6, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth, store up treasures in heaven. Right after he's talked about fasting. Now he goes on, Paul does in the next part of that, he says, food is for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will do away with both of them. He says, listen, I know food tastes good and I know you're ingesting it and food is for the stomach. Stomach needs food, but God's going to do away with them both. So don't invest your life too much in what's going to go away. My gramps used to have a saying. He used to say um, we'd sit at the dinner table and uh, he's one of the he's a food mixer. He was a food mixer. You know what I mean? Like on his plate, he'd get all his food. Like how many of you are food can't touch each other? All right. So if you've got corn, you can't touch the mashed potatoes. You can't touch the like how many of you? How many of that are just let's all put it together. Let's just go. I mean, we got food mixers. All right. Gramps was a food mixer, and he'd always say two things when we'd say, Gramps, can you, you know, because some food mixing's okay. Like, like uh, chicken and dressing and mashed potatoes and gravy, that's okay. But some of the combinations, I was like, that's a little much, Gramps. And Gramps would say, it's all going to the same place, anyways. And he goes, and you won't remember tomorrow what it was in the first place. All right? Food is for the stomach, stomach is for the food, and God does away with both of them. The body is not for sexual immorality. The Lord, the body is for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And then he says this at the end of that whole thing. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? You were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. Fasting allows us to break the cycle of thinking we are dependent upon every material thing here on earth. Last reason. We fast because it heightens our awareness of God's purpose and power. The goal is not just to do away with food for a while. It's not shed enough pounds to look good for the class reunion. The goal is to spend time and make an avenue for God to speak into your life. And I'll just be honest with you. There are very few things in my life that heightens my awareness of my need and my desire for God like fasting. And here's the thing, you would think sometimes that it will make you weaker, that it will make you worse. But the truth is, it tells us in Luke 4.14, I love this, Jesus, we talked about this passage earlier. Jesus has been out in the woods, he's been in the wilderness, he's been tempted, He has done hand-to-hand combat with Satan. He has literally been tempted, and in the midst of that temptation, he has been drained, it would seem. He has been fighting, he is 40 days without food. And in Luke 4.14, it says that Jesus came out, returned to Galilee, and instead of saying that he came out crawling and in pain and in weakness, it says that he came out in the power of the Spirit. You see, when you choose to fast and you do it for the glory of God, you won't come out weaker, you come out stronger, you come out more aware, you come out more alert, you come out more on your game, you come out sharper in your mind, you come out sharper in your spirit, sharper in your heart, more in touch with the real and less Caring about the superficial nature of life. That's why we do it. Jesus assumed we would. It allows us to free ourselves from the materialism of this world. And it heightens our awareness of God's working in our lives. So here's my challenge to you. I'm going to ask you to take two or three days to think through what it is God wants you to fast from. And starting Wednesday, I'm going to ask you to choose a fast and to do it until Easter. Now, here's the deal: starting Wednesday, if you look on a traditional church calendar, is Ash Wednesday or Lent starts. Okay, you call it whatever you want to. All right? If you're uncomfortable calling it that, then just call it my Easter fast. But from Wednesday until Easter is 40 days, not counting Sunday. And 40 is a significant number in Scripture: 40 years in the wilderness, 40 days of temptation for Jesus. 40 years for Moses, 40 is a significant number. I'm going to ask you to begin a fast on Wednesday. I'm going to give you some real practical steps in just a minute, but here's what I want you in the midst of your fast to do. To pray that God would give you an understanding of his purpose for your life and the power to use it. And I'm going to ask you as a church to pray that God would give us an understanding of our purpose and our future for our church. As a community of believers doing this together. Five real quick tips. First of all, when it comes to what you choose, challenge yourself, but be realistic. Some people give up stuff that won't matter at all in their lives. They've never watched an episode of The Bachelor in their life, and they say, I'm just going to give up The Bachelor for Lent. All right. If you haven't watched an episode of Bachelor in your life You're already blessed beyond measure So don't worry about that All right. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord Give up something that you actually will miss Right Also this doesn't mean give up something bad Like if there's something that is hindering your walk with Christ And it's a sin Lent is not the time to say I'm just going to give up this sin for a few weeks Like stop <laughs> Right I mean, people will say that. Uh, I'm going to give up excessive drinking for the Lent. Uh, No, stop, all right? Let's give that up. Be realistic. Choose something that you're going to miss. At the same time, don't choose everything. Don't be the person that's like, all right, starting Wednesday, no caffeine, no chocolate, and no red meat. And then nobody wants to be around you for like a week. Like... Your fast is not an attempt to be the grumpiest person on the planet, alright? Challenge yourself, but be realistic. Choose something that you will miss that is emotionally tied to you, spiritually tied to you, physically tied to you, and that you will miss. But be realistic about it. Also, if you've never done a food fast, do not think starting Wednesday you're not going to eat for 40 days. It's not healthy. It's not good. Alright? Be realistic. Secondly... Don't flaunt your fast, including social media. Don't put out for social media. Uh, just need everybody on Facebook to hold me accountable. I'm being real spiritual this month and I'm not going to do anything with... Uh, I'm not going to drink any caffeine this month. I'm not going to watch any television at all. No entertainment, no movies, no, no music. I'm going to listen uh, to none of that. I just need y'all to know, that, that, and there, I guarantee there will be posts on Wednesday that you'll see. Okay. It goes back to what Jesus said. This is in Matthew chapter six. Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites. They make their faces unattractive so that fasting is obvious to people. If you if you have decided to forego a meal and you walk in and you sit down with people, don't sit and go, Oh so so you're eating? Oh. You're gonna do that you're gonna do that in front of me? You know I'm fasting. Uh, it's not real considerate of you to, to eat in front of me when I'm fasting, right? Like, don't make people feel bad that they're not doing what you're doing. Don't make yourself feel spiritual. <laughs> they're not fasting from anything. I must be really good this week. Like, don't flaunt it. He says, look normal, do normal, act normal. Now, yes, you're going to have to tell some people in your life. In fact, I would suggest you get a couple of people that can hold you accountable. Because here's the truth. You're weak. It's going to be harder than you expect. Don't flaunt it. Thirdly, practice addition. Addition. Add something to your life that will help you to navigate spiritually what is happening. So if we talked about one of these habits, maybe you're not in the habit of reading your Bible every day. Maybe you're not in the habit of praying every day. In a in, in place of what you are doing, what you are giving up, place something new. Read a book that will help you towards your, your um, knowing Christ. Read the New Testament in that time. Fourth, feast on Sunday. Here's the deal. That's what I love, all right. So all these athletic people think they invented the phrase cheat day, right? But here's the truth. When you come to fasting and you come to the traditional way the church has done it, Sunday is a day when you break your fast. Okay? Now here's the reason. Why do we why do we have church on Sunday? Why not Saturday? Why not Friday? Saturday's a traditional Sabbath. Why do we have it on Sunday? So when Christ rose from the grave. And so we meet on the first day of the week because Christ rose from the grave. So here's the deal. In a few weeks, we're doing this towards Easter. In a few weeks, Easter is a blowout celebration. Okay? Here's my guess. We haven't planned the service yet. My guess is there will not be lots of somber music at the Easter service. Right? We're going to rock. Right? Even in the early service, they clap sometimes on Easter. Right? Okay? Right? Right? We do celebrate Jesus, and it's not good, but it's there, all right? People get pumped about Easter. It's like Super Bowl. It's like the Grand Championship. This is awesome. It's Easter. Well, here's the deal. The reason we celebrate Easter is because we celebrate the resurrection of Christ from the dead on the first day of the week. Every Sunday in our lives are mini Easter's. And as we're leading up to Easter, every Sunday ought to be a day of celebration. And so you break your fast and you enjoy whatever it is you've given up for that time. And you celebrate with God. Now here's the thing that happens. You know what happens? You know what your favorite day of the week becomes? Sunday. Like you look forward to it like Wednesday. You're like, oh, I can't wait for that Diet Coke on Sunday. (laughs) Right? That Hershey bar is going to be so good on Sunday. But Sunday ought to be the day we look most forward to. Every week. And it just heightens. I mean, it really is. I can guarantee you, there'll be some of you will come in here and you had not had caffeine all week and you've drunk two uh, Frappuccinos that morning and you are on cloud nine. I mean, we're going to have to calm you down on Sundays, all right? Feast on Sunday and the last thing is depend on God's grace. There is a chance you're going to blow it. You're going to wake up in the kitchen floor with Hershey all over your face. All right? And when you blow it, realize it's not dependent on you anyways. Don't say, well, that's it. I messed up. I'm not, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. You just depend on the same grace that God gives you every day of your life. And you just trust Him. This Wednesday. Man, you know what? You know what's exciting to me? And I know that sometimes this kind of stuff doesn't excite you. That's okay. You know what's exciting to me? It's exciting to me to think about the possibilities of what God can do through a church. That is memorizing a chapter of scripture each. That is committed to following the Lord through fasting for 40 days. That is regularly praying and coming together in communities, serving one another, celebrating Jesus. Man, if you look in scriptures, whenever God wanted to move, he called his people to a fast. that's what I'm doing. Because I believe God's got some amazing things for this church. But I also think he's waiting to see if we're ready to go. So, you don't have to. Your salvation's not depend upon it. But man, I believe you would experience the grace of God if you did. Let's pray together.